This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Now You're Talking. It's a show about the most interesting people and stories of Mississippi. Hey, I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. I am the editor-at-large at Mississippi Today. Our guest today is Dr. Robert Luckett. He's the associate professor at the Department of History at Jackson State University and the director of the Margaret Walker Center. So we're going to be talking with Dr. Luckett a little bit about the past year. He says, you know, 2020 was a turmoil, a tumultuous, I'll get the right word out today since it is Monday, and we're going to talk a little bit how he's adapted, plus what's next for the Margaret Walker Center as well. Always good to talk to Dr. Luckett because he's packing a lot of wisdom and, of course, will be always a great show. But uh, first, let's catch up a little bit with Michelle on the weekly roundup. Michelle, I hope you survived the weekend in one piece. I know you're constantly working and you probably worked all weekend, but um, you doing okay? I'm doing well. It is Monday. It's a new week, a new year, and I'm excited about what's next for 2021. How about you? Uh, me too. Uh, you know, it seems like it's uh, 2021 has kind of started off a little bit rough, but uh, there's been some bright spots. And of course, I mean, I'm kind of like you. I got the optimism thing going. I, over the weekend, uh, you know, just on a lark, I went to Apple Plus, which is one of the streaming services that I never really ever watched, but we got for some reason. And there's a show called Ted Lasso on there, and it's Jason Sudeikis, who was on Saturday Night Live, wrote the show. It is based on an ad that NBC ran many years ago to promote soccer, uh, in, uh, world, uh, Premier League soccer out of England. I'll spit that out in a second, just a second, too. But anyway, I thought, well, this may be fun. You know, fish out of water. You know, an American football coach goes over to coach soccer. It'll be great. Michelle, I'm telling you, it turned out to be one of the best shows that I have seen in the past year. And I've seen a lot of good stuff on TV since we've all been kind of quarantining and stuck by, you know, stuck behind the well at the house. And I got to tell you, this show had so much heart and it was unbelievable. And there was a great scene in there where he's kind of facing down a bully and, and they're playing darts. And, you know, and I'm not going to give away too much and spoil too much, but he looks at the guy and the guy's like this rich billionaire. And he's the, of course the billionaire guy's looking down at Ted Lasso and he's like thinking, Oh, well, you're just, you're just an idiot hayseed from America. Right. Well, Ted Lasso's not, he's very, very smart. And he's of course, you know, beating the guy in darts and he looks at him and he quotes Walt Whitman's quote, be curious, not judgmental. And I thought, wow, what a great quote for 2021. Uh, for us to be more curious about the world instead of being more judgmental. And as much as I love social media, don't get me wrong, you can go to all the social media accounts and you're going to find me there because I love communicating with people and I love putting content out there and I love talking to people and everything else. But it's like maybe this year, maybe we need to spend a little bit more time not just pumping out anger and pumping out judge being judgmental maybe you ought to be a little bit more curious about people and that was that was ted's point because you know he's like rupert was the guy who's facing again he said rupert if you were more curious you might have asked me ted do you play darts you know and i thought that was just great but the show's called ted lasso it's on apple plus it's been out since october i'm obviously very late to the you know, I mean, I'm I'm usually I'm usually on top of stuff like that, but man, just for some reason, I just found it in the lark, and literally, Amy and I sat there for 
well, it's 10 30 minute episodes. So we, we, we went to bed at two 30 in the morning wow. on Saturday. <laughs> well, <laughs> we just got sucked into it. You, you were talking about, um, being inclusive and non-judgmental. Um, that's what I really want to talk to Dr. Luckett about. President Biden's speech talked about inclusiveness and, um, not being judgmental and stepping in someone else's shoes, walking in their shoes. He uh, talked about that. I would love to get his opinion on uh, President Biden's speech and how he felt uh, it was perceived and his um, his motives behind his speech and, and if his goal was accomplished. Um, how did you feel about the inauguration as a whole? I, I tell you, strip, it's just the strip politics out of this. And I know it's so hard to do it because I had people railing on me about my coloring sheets with, with my animals, you know. But, I mean, I know everybody's hypercharged with politics. But there were some really cool moments in that, you know, Lady Gaga singing. I mean, when you have Lady Gaga and Garth Brooks knocking it out of the park. and But I tell you what, Amanda Gorman stepped up there. And I'm going to 22, 23 years mm-hmm. old and read the inaugural poem, which was called The Hill We Climb. Mm-hmm. And I, and I got to tell you, Michelle, that was absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I don't care which side of the fence you sit on politics wise. I mean, I just that was one of those deals where I just stood up and saluted. I mean, it was just so nice. And it was so neat to see her being interviewed by different people because it's kind of like, you know, here's somebody that just followed up Lady Gaga and Garth Brooks and just put on a performance that knocked it out of the park. I mean, she stood toe to toe with them on, on that and Beyonce, you know, just like, Oh my gosh, that's just incredible. Um, that was just really cool. I thought Biden's speech was good. Uh, in fact, I think it was probably one of the best speeches he's ever given. And I've been covering him since 1988. Uh, been drawing cartoons about him since then anyway. And so it was kind of interesting to, to see that. I don't know. I mean, as we are very divided as a country. I'm, I'm not afraid to say that right now. But, you know, it kind of gave me some hope that maybe we can do that. I don't know. You know, like I said, I think some people are just determined to be mad and see the world burn down. But I think at the end of the day, um, what we've been through with this pandemic and what we're going through with the economy and everything else, if we don't start rowing the boat together, um, we're in a lot of trouble. Mm. Yes, I, I what I got from the entire day all the way through the night. I like the um, uh, Tom Hanks hosting the. Um, I call oh, it the he was party. freezing to death. Well, was that not funny? He was but, like his teeth, teeth were chattering. He was so cold. But the I um, felt bad for him. The the whole presentation was nice. The oh, performances wonderful. were great. Yeah. Uh, it looked it felt good to see the president and his family enjoying what they were seeing. I like yeah. the um, Demi Lovato song with all the um, nurses and people in, um, in the um, healthcare field singing together. It felt good to see yeah. just the togetherness of the world for one day. It felt really good. Well, and, and to back up too, which by the way, um, I was so glad that every city in America that didn't have a fireworks show during last year decided to donate them to that cause. Cause it literally looked, there was one point Amy looked over me and she says, I think that was a nuclear flash. I have never seen so many fireworks in my life. It was beautiful. And, yeah. It was beautiful. Uh, it, it was pretty cool. It really was. But I, I really liked the ceremony the night before where they had the lights out on the, on the reflecting pool, uh, honoring all the, folks that have lost their lives to COVID. A very good friend of mine, a guy that I almost kind of look like, looked to as a dad. He's just a neat guy. He lost his older brother to 
COVID and uh, last week. And, you know, I'm just every day I'm seeing friends that are they're losing parents or they're losing loved ones to this. And I, it was just kind of nice to see as a country that we stopped for a few minutes and we finally acknowledged the fact this thing is going on because it's almost like we've been trying to push through it that it hasn't existed and then all suddenly you know just to take that moment and, and to I mean I literally wept it was just that powerful to see that and I'm, I'm glad we did it because I, I think the first um, step to healing is is acknowledging that your pain and and we did that really well all right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we're going to welcome our guest. It's somebody I really enjoy talking to. I think this is going to be a great show. It's Dr. Robert Luckett. So stay tuned. There's more to come. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The information presented on this program is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult an appropriate professional for guidance about your concerns. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for listening. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey of Mississippi Today. Well, this past year has been one that will be definitely remembered in history, from a worldwide pandemic to racial inequities to, of course, politics. We're welcoming our guest now, Dr. Robert Luckett, Associate Professor of the Department of History at Jackson State University and Director of the Margaret Walker Center. We're going to get his perspective on this year's events. Uh, Dr. Luckett, thank you for being on with us. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Marshall. It's always good to be on with you. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing very well. I was going to ask how you're doing and how's the family? Everybody is safe and healthy and, you know, happy so far at the end of 2021. So, um, you know, here's hoping that we can continue that uh, uh, for the rest of this year and uh, see this pandemic finally uh, go away. Yeah, amen. Um you know, it's, it's funny, on my Facebook feed today, one of my posts from today, exactly one year ago, I wrote a post talking about the, the coronavirus and it was coming and we need to prepare for it and things that we need to think about and everything else. I don't think I could have predicted what, this, <laughs> what the year would cause, uh, right. but it did seem like the virus managed to strip back the curtain on everything in our lives, from our institutions to our, the way we do things, to our politicians and everything else. I mean, let's go back to, I guess, the last time we talked was about the time everything was getting started. How are you able to adapt your day-to-day operations within the pandemic? Well, of course, like everybody else, it was hard. Um, and as yeah, for me, as a, as a professor specifically, 
Um, I, I enjoy teaching. I enjoy being in front of students and interacting on a human level with students. And the day we move to virtual, it's not that I haven't taught online classes before. I have. But moving entirely to a, to a virtual platform just is not my favorite form of teaching or ability to engage students. So I had to, to adapt. And frankly, I think it was way harder on my students than it was on me. Um, you know, there's something about being on campus, being in class, able to interact with a, a college professor that just facilitates learning in a way that you're never going to be able to do if you're in an, in an online environment only. At the same time, right, we've seen the ability to increase our capacity to engage more people. And, you know, I think about the Margaret Walker Center and all the public programming we do. Of course, everything had to move to a virtual format, and we were in the middle of making plans for the 50th commemoration of the 1970 Gibbs Green tragedy at this past May in 2020 at Jackson State, which was the police shootings in 1970 that left two young men dead. And, of course, that entire thing had to move to a virtual um, format. And the program we did that night on um, uh, via Zoom um, ended up reaching 13,000 people. <laughs> and, and, and I think about that and think, well, you know, we, we had planned all this amazing work, and if we had done this in person only, we would have reached several hundred people, not 13,000 people viewing our program. So – you know, it's uh, you, we, we got to learn from it, and we got to adopt and evolve. And I think that even as we come back into a world where I can be in front of students, we can have programming where we actually have human interaction uh, in in front of each other. At the same time, we got to incorporate some of the lessons we learned about accessibility and just access. I agree with you a thousand percent. I, I do events also. And of course, I know that you're talking about on the teaching front, because I mean, I taught a class last year and had absolutely, um, or actually it's been a couple of years ago, but I had the most wonderful students. And I can't even imagine if I had not had that experience of being able to feed off their energy and then feed off of mine and on that whole experience. And I know how hard it is to go to Zoom, but you're right. I think, I think we're going to be able to create something even better by doing a hybrid between doing the Zoom and the online and being able to do the in-person as well. Uh, did you end up teaching all virtual classes or did you end up doing some that were in person? No, I taught all virtual courses. Most of us at Jackson State did. Most of us are doing it again this semester. And, you know, so this semester I'm actually teaching my um, civil rights history class. And when you teach civil rights history in Mississippi, at least for me, that's been a very experiential class. It's been a class where we're out in the field, we're visiting civil rights sites, we're meeting activists, we're you know talking about the history of the modern movement in very tangible ways because you're in Mississippi. And in a virtual environment, I'm really having to adjust to what that looks like over the course of the semester. So uh, in many ways, I feel like I'm learning, I'm continuing to learn just as much about my own teaching and engagement with students this semester as I did last. Are there any tricks that you use to be able to, to try to keep their attention and to be dynamic online? Because I know it's, it's, it can be tough because it can become very flat and very two-dimensional very quickly. Yeah, you know, trying to make as many opportunities for engagement with the students. Our classes have been mostly asynchronous, meaning we don't all meet or are required to meet at the same time. But I try to provide as many opportunities at different points in times to actually engage with them via Zoom or Google Meet, um, engage with other people, engage with programming, and try and make sure that I have some individual one-on-one -on -one contact with my students over the course of the semester so that they're more than just 
you know, a, a, a faceless voice <laughs> at some point in, in my online class. So, but I haven't figured it out. I certainly don't have um, the magic formula yet. So still working on it. We're having the pleasure of talking with Dr. Robert Luckett. He's a director of the Margaret Walker Center and professor at Jackson State University. You know, Dr. Luckett, I'll be honest with you. Um, the fact that you're getting to teach civil rights history in Mississippi has got to be one of the coolest assignments in the world because, like you said, there's so much living history here. And, and I've always found that learning history, when you're actually going to sites and where things took place and everything, really helps if you can engage all your senses on that. So you're not able to do any kind of field trips or anything right now? No, we, we can't go anywhere. So, you know, normally we might go uh, to Medgar Evers home, right? Or right. even the, the COFO Center at Jackson State, which I also run, which was the headquarters for Freedom Summer. Of course, we would go to the Mississippi Civil Rights Museum, but we simply, um, while that museum, of course, is open to visitors, we don't have that capacity as faculty in terms of our own precautions at the university and what we're trying to do to keep our faculty and our students safe. It's just, it's not happening this semester. So it's, um, it, it is definitely a, a different kind of thing, but trying to adapt, trying to still bring in um, some of those people. And also, you know, there's a familiarity um, to teaching the movement for our students because they hear the stories about the environment that they grew up in that they may not have heard before. And they go, wow, that's where that happened? Or, wait a minute, I know that person. <laughs> they were involved in this. And so, you know, you still try to make those kind of human interactions, human connections um, that bring that, that history to life in a, in a very real, tangible way. And the truth is, it wasn't that long ago. A lot of these people are still around, right? We just did our 53rd Martin Luther King convocation, and our um, keynote speaker was Dave Dennis. He was one of the first freedom riders who arrived in Jackson in 1961. That's 60 years ago. He's still doing quite well. <laughs> was really a, a wonderful person to have join us. So I am lucky to get to teach uh, what I teach and do what I do. And I do love it. I just, I, I, I will love it more when I can actually be in front of my students. But definitely this year too. And, and we'll, we'll touch on that here in a few minutes, but I mean, this has been one of those kind of years that what you're teaching has come to life literally over the past year. So it kind of makes it uh, more of a challenge and also easier to teach when you can say, okay, this is kind of what, they lived, and this is what we're living, and compare the two. Let's talk a little bit about the inauguration real quick. Um, what was your opinion about the president's uh, speech? Well, so, um, you know, kind of from a, a historical perspective, I mean, I really think that he did a good job of, of the tone and the tenor and trying to just stamp down some of what you guys were talking about before the break, you know, just the – the, the hyper partisanship, the ill will, the the anger, right? Um, and I thought it was very calm, and I thought it was very kind of reassuring that we can come back to a place in terms of American politics and American society where we don't always and, and don't ever actually have to agree with each other, but we should respect each other and and and, and should be able to disagree agreeably, right, uh, in ways that doesn't necessarily cast the people you disagree with in terms of, of good versus evil, because that's not what it is, and that's not what uh, this country is, is necessarily about. So, I, you know, history will, will, will determine these things, and I think a lot will be determined once we get into the administration and, and beyond when we look back and say, 
Well, was he able to actually do the things that he was talking about in, in the inaugural in the inaugural address? Right? Was he able to kind of bridge these divides? Was he able to to move America forward in a way that gets beyond what has been just the poison of the political atmosphere for a number of years now? You know, I, I've been drawing editorial cartoons, I guess, since 1988. And, you know, I've never seen it quite like what it is right now. I mean, if you draw a cartoon and somebody disagrees with you, they think you should die. I mean, it's just about yeah. that that crazy right now. And I've always believed that it should be more like the sheepdog and the coyote from the cartoons to where they fight all day long, you know, and then at the end of the evening, they clock out and they say, good night, Ralph. Good night, Sam. And, and that, it'd be kind of nice if we could get back to that, because like you said, I think our nation was built on on the ability to compromise and to find some middle ground. And, and I hope that we're kind of going back in that direction. Yeah. And I, I think that there's a real possibility for that. And, you know, the, the events of January 6th at the United States Capitol, I think was a point uh, where people looked and said, wait a minute, what are we doing as a nation? This is not who we want to be. And while there certainly is a, a faction of people who are still going to kind of hold on to that, even you know, for me in my own personal politics, the people I disagree with are going, that's not right. That, that is not who we are as a country, and that's not who we want to be. I agree 100%. I think it did shock a lot of people. And, and they, you know, it, and I wouldn't say not even necessarily the people in the middle, but I mean, even a lot of my friends who are conservative just saw that and said, oh, no, I don't think we need to go there anymore. Yeah. Definitely on that. Well, there were so many historic moments in 2020. And as a historian, how do you see 2020 being written in the history books? Well, it's definitely going to be one of those years that gets re remembered as, as a seminal year. And, you know, we have these moments in, in American history that are, are turning points, and they usually are, are moments, right? The stock market crash before the Great Depression, the, you have the 9-11, uh, right? Um, you have these very specific pinpoint moments, and, and 2020 is going to be an entire year <laughs> where we, we look back historically and say, really, the, the world changed. Uh, this year in, in in significant ways. And again, I, I think some of it is going to be, of course, remembering the tragedy, but, and this is related to how I teach my, my civil rights class even, you know, it's not just the story of tragedy and oppression, it's the story of resistance and overcoming that tragedy and oppression that is important for us to remember. And I think history will remember both things. And, and I think that we should um, attempt to you know, lift up the stories of um, courage and resilience in the face of 2020 as much as we have to lift up and remember the legacies of the people that we lost and all of the tragedy uh, that took place. And, you know, and you, you kind of alluded to it as well, and we even think about things like the social justice movements over the summer. Those are, are, are stories as well that have to be incorporated into the history of this that I think will inform um, our understanding of of this country and of our history in important ways, especially as we get kind of further and further away from 2020. You know, one thing that really jumped out at me was the amount of involvement and leadership of the generation of your students, um, for instance. And I mean, I've got an 18 year old, 20 year old, and I know how passionate and involved they are about issues. And I mean, to me, that gives me hope. What are some of the things that you heard from your students along the way? 
Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, the you know the thing about young people is they've always been at the vanguard of of social change and of movements. And you even think about um, someone like uh, Dave Dennis sixty years ago as a freedom rider. Right. He's, I think, 81 now. So we're talking he was 20, 21 years old when he was arrested in 1961. The very age of this generation you're talking about today, Marshall. And, you know, so I'm definitely hearing uh, engaged students. People ask me all the time. and You get this. They're like, well, what's wrong with today's generation? Why aren't they like, you know, the older generations? I'm, I'm thinking, you know what? Every older generation has said that about younger generations. If you don't know what the younger generation is doing to engage all kinds of issues in this society, you're just not paying attention enough. And I'm lucky enough to have kind of a bird's eye view of it here at Jackson State and watching um, my students as they engage everything from from voting to the environment to social justice to all kinds uh, of issues and ideas. So. For me, it's in many ways reinforcing uh, to understand that there's another generation coming along that is engaged, is concerned, does want to see change, and, and is trying to make it happen. And sure, you get uh, some students who are kind of checked out, but that's kind of the population at large. <laughs> and so by and large, though, you know, especially for me in the classes that I'm teaching, you know, my students, the, the civil rights history class I teach is an elective, right? The students who are signing up to that are interested in civil rights history. They want, they want to know their past. They want to know how it informs who they are today. And that's how I try to teach it. So, you know, generally speaking, I feel very lucky to get to uh, to do what I do and interact with the young people I, I interact with, and they keep coming. That's for sure. And they, and then they go out into the world and they continue to do really good work. It's time for us to take a quick break. We're talking with Dr. Robert Luckett. He's a professor at Jackson State University and director of the Margaret Walker Center. So stay tuned. This is now you're talking on MPB Think Radio. contractor ever tell you of the price of something and it sounds so high you think eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult and yes you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things listen to Fix It 101 podcast everywhere. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. I'm the editor-at-large at Mississippi Today. Now we've been talking with Dr. Robert Luckett. He's a professor of history at Jackson State University and director of the Margaret Walker Center in Jackson. Uh, Dr. Luckett, thank you for joining us today. I've enjoyed the conversation so far. You know, we have brought up the Margaret Walker Center quite a bit so far. And really, honestly, there may be some folks that just don't know much about it. And I, this would be a good time for you to tell us everything about it. And also, too, tell us a little bit about Margaret Walker, because she was pretty special. Yeah, really an amazing woman. I'm very lucky to get to work in a place that carries on her very direct uh, legacy as, a, as an artist and writer, as a scholar, as a teacher, as an activist. Um, so Margaret started the center in 1968. Uh, when she was a professor of English at Jackson State. She came to Jackson State in 1949 
and stayed for the next 30 years on the English faculty and stayed the rest of her life in Jackson until she passed away in 1998. She really has a most remarkable life as a child. She's going to have the opportunity um, as just a teenager to meet Langston Hughes, and Langston Hughes is going to take her under his wing and, and mentor her and encourage her, and eventually she's going to go and receive in the 1930s a bachelor's degree from Northwestern University. She's going to do a master's at the University of Iowa in the really the second year of the renowned Iowa Writers Workshop. That master's thesis will be her great book of poetry, For My People, and the poem by the same name, that's really going to launch her into worldwide acclaim and renown as, as a writer and as a poet. And so when she comes to Jackson State in 1949, um, she comes at a time where her fame is, is pretty high. And also, of course, in that period in 1949, as a black woman coming to a segregated um, Jim Crow society in Jackson was arriving at a, at a particularly tense time. And not long after she moved uh, with her family to Jackson, Medgar and Merle Evers will move to the same street she lived on, uh, Gine Street, and will be neighbors and family friends. So she literally finds herself immersed in the middle um, of the modern civil rights movement. While she's here, she's going to finish her dissertation at the Iowa Writers' Workshop, which is the great novel Jubilee. If you like historical fiction, I would really encourage people to pick up a copy of Jubilee. There's a wonderful 50th anniversary edition uh, that is out uh, now that supports the work we do at the Margaret Walker Center. Um, the story of her great-grandmother and grandmother as they live from slavery to freedom, and it's just fabulous and incredibly powerful, and it's going to launch a genre of fiction called neo-slave narratives or neo-slave novels that will include more perhaps famously um, books like Alex Haley's Roots, um, Tony, uh, or uh, we think about uh, uh, Beloved, right, um, and other books along those lines. But still, Jubilee is just a, a fabulous examination of the black experience in that time. And then in 1968, she founds us as the Institute for the Study of the History, Life, and Culture of Black People, which, uh, as a black studies institute at Jackson State, was really at the forefront of these kind of academic movements to study African-American history and culture. We think of today of college degrees like African-American studies, Africana studies, black studies, and we really had one of the very first centers uh, at Jackson State to, to do that work, which is a pretty remarkable testimony in 1968, considering that larger environment. And so we've been doing this work as a black history and, and cultural center um, for more than 50 years and engage um, archival collections, historic collections. We do tons of public programming. We are a museum um, and we have exhibits. Of course, the pandemic has forced us to be closed to the public, but we still try to del deliver the work that we do in these virtual formats. And then found some really good, exciting success again uh, in that regard and have seen numbers of people um, attracted to the work that we're doing in ways that, again, if we were only doing this in person, we simply wouldn't have the, the, same, the same impact. I fully believe we've got to be back in person at some point. There is something more powerful about being in front of human beings rather than being on a Zoom. But we'll continue to do both, continue to think about ways that we expand and engage our community, and just kind of excited about those possibilities. We also, through the Margaret Walker Center, run the COFO Civil Rights Education Center, which was, as I mentioned before, the headquarters for Freedom Summer in 1964. It was the Council of Federated Organizations uh, founded by the great activist Bob Moses. 
and a number of other really incredible people are going to walk through the doors of that building. There's a beautiful image of Martin Luther King and his staff in the COFO Center attending a meeting in 1964 in the room you're standing in. So you walk in there and you get a real sense of the power. So we look forward to the day when we can open those doors back open to the public and welcome visitors in. We hope that'll be sooner rather than later. But proud of the Margaret Walker Center, proud of the legacy of our, our founder and the work that we get to continue to do in her name. You know, I got to do a coloring sheet of COFO, uh, the center of the of the drawing of the building for for Mississippi today. And I was just thinking about it as drawing, and I said the building is so unassuming considering how much history had, that has crossed through that door, the door jam on that building. It's just incredible. Exactly. Yeah, it's, incredible. it's a really remarkable space. You see it from the outside, and it, it doesn't quite give off the aura that you uh, come to understand when you walk through those doors. But that entire corridor along the John R. Lynch Street, um, right at Jackson State. Um, that's uh, really some powerful history right there, and one of those places that we hope people will return to um, and come to see. We were having visitors from all over the world um, before the pandemic, and we expect they're going to come back because there is just something powerful about standing in that spot, as you were talking about earlier, you know, just being where in the place where history happened and understand the power of um, of what took place there. And again, in this this world of, of tragedy and oppression, there's also a real incredible story of, of heroism, right, and, and, and resistance um, and, and attempts to craft a better world from people who really are heroic, who we should be lifting up as, as great American and Mississippi treasures, right? Like real heroes. I, I agree. I think the, the work you're doing is so incredibly important right now, particularly in particularly last year, because history, history doesn't repeat, but it sure does rhyme. And it, it's definitely rhymed in 2020 and 2021. Dr. Luckett, tell us a little bit about some of the you know, I mean, obviously, you're you're storytellers, you're you're documentarians, you're 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 writing down the history as it's happening. What are some of the things that you have focused on, and the center has focused on in the past year during COVID and during some of the during some of the unrest that we've had during the past year? You know, I, I mentioned it earlier, and one of the big ones that really was capturing our attention and our work for the better part of 18 months, we had um, laid plans out to commemorate what took place on our campus in May of 1970 um, with the, the police shootings. And, you know, what's particularly uh, tragic about, um, additionally tragic about 2020, um, there were, in 1970, city police and highway patrol fired roughly 500 rounds of ammunition in 28 seconds into a women's dormitory at Jackson State, where there was nothing going on. It was the middle of the night. There's a, a longer story of, of activism and, and the movement on campus that led to this. The police were accompanied by the Thompson Tank, which was the armored personnel carrier that the segregationist mayor, Alan Thompson, had bought. And when they opened fire and, and left this path of destruction, of course, the university closed down. And back then, that was before commencement. And so the class of 1970 didn't get to have a graduation. And we were planning in May of 2020 to honor the class of 1970, and they were going to get to walk across the stage for the very first time and receive a diploma. And we even had honorary doctorates of humane letters awarded by IHL to Philip Gibbs and James Green that were going to be received by their families, um, the two young men um, who were murdered that night. And then the pandemic hits. And now the class of 2020 at Jackson State 
joins the class in 1970 as the only two classes that didn't get to have a, a graduation. So for the past year, we've been planning and, and, and lifting up and figuring out, well, how do we honor both of those stories? And we're really hoping by this coming May, May 14th and 15th, which will be the, the 51st commemoration of the Gibbs Green tragedy at Jackson State, that we'll be able to do some of those things and at least start having some programming in limited ways that allows us to, to honor those people, honor their legacies, honor their memories, and to, to lift them up and lift up this class of, 19, uh, of 2020, rather, that has also lived through great tragedy, right? So that's been a big part of our focus this past uh, year. We've also focused on, uh, of course, our 53rd annual Martin Luther King Convocation. It's amazing. Margaret Walker in 1968, when she found the Institute, of course, that's the year Dr. King is assassinated just a couple hours up the road uh, in Memphis. She founds a Black Studies Institute in Jackson, Mississippi in 1968. And just a few months after his assassination in January of 1969, she starts a, a convocation to honor his birthday. And it's one of the first MLK Day programs anywhere in the nation at Jackson State. And this year was our 53rd um, with the great activist Dave Dennis. People can go to our YouTube page. It's up on, on YouTube and see his remarks. They can see a bunch of the programming we've been doing. It's also up on our Facebook page. we got a lot more programming coming up this year. We do an annual student conference in the spring. We're gonna, it's going to be virtual, but people will be able to engage it. Um, just uh, all kinds of great work. We have two more exhibits that we're about to install about Gibbs Green and the Gibbs Green tragedy that we hope will be available to the public in some limited way over the coming months and, and gradually increasing traffic. So we're here. We're continuing to do that work and um, continuing to try to, to educate our community and engage our community about all kinds of, of, of history that continues um, in such kind of vibrant ways around us. Tell us a little bit about the documentary, Storytellers of a Pandemic, the oral history of the impact of COVID-19 on HBCU students. That sounds really good. Yeah, so um, I've been very lucky uh, in having a, a, a wonderful partnership with the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation that has supported our work with a major grant to the Margaret Walker Center. And that included being able to hire for the first time in many years a full-time oral historian um, at the center. We have quite a large oral history collection. We have over 2,000 oral histories that date back to the early 1970s. But for a number of years, since our last oral historian retired, we hadn't been able to put someone in place to kind of oversee that collection and grow it. It was kind of a, a, a mishmash, um, you know, do oral histories here and there where we can, and I would step in and do them. Um, but with our new oral historian on staff and really kind of uh, re-energizing that department, she started in February of 2020, <laughs> and then in March, the world <laughs> shut down. And so, um, yeah. you know, we had to very quickly reimagine, well, what does this look like now? What are the pressing stories that we need to uh, to capture? And so very obviously there was a story about the pandemic, and there was a story, you know, about African Americans in the pandemic and about the, the um, disproportionate impact the pandemic has had on poor communities and communities of color. And so we knew early on that this was something that we needed to address and that we needed to, to capture. And so through the storytellers of the pandemic, we have started trying to do that, started to try to, to capture these voices and document for history um, how people have lived and, and survived uh, through this really terrible time. And also learning about 
you know, our own capacity to do this kind of work when you're talking about underrepresented and poor communities that may or may not have access to technology or to Wi-Fi or to computers. So how do you conduct an oral history remotely with someone who might not have access to that kind of stuff? So it's um, it's been a learning process. It's one that we're very proud of and I, I think is going to continue to pay rich dividends because obviously this the story of the pandemic is not over. We're still in the midst of it. And, you know, I think even the story of the vaccine and how we come out of the pandemic will be one that will be incredibly important for us to re record and um, to maintain for um, posterity's sake. You know, I, I think I mentioned it earlier how the virus had stripped everything back. You talk about disparities in healthcare, disparities in, you know, everything. I mean, just early on in the pandemic, how the African American community was hit so hard initially, and you know, eventually it caught up through the whole population. But it's just right. amazing how this virus has caused that. And it's so when you're caught in the everyday today trying to survive or trying to make a living or whatever, sometimes I think you miss the details. So I think it's fantastic that you're putting all this together. Well, I appreciate that. And we're, we're again, trying to figure it out and grateful um, as we um, are find support and find people who believe in this work and understand its significance and the, the significance of capturing these stories and being able to to save them and maintain them because people are going to be writing about and studying 2020 and the pandemic for generations to come, right? It, it is, this is going to be a major moment uh, in our, our nation's history that um, will be important for us to preserve for, for the sake of the future. Amen. It's time for us to take our final break. And when we return, we're going to wrap up our conversation with Dr. Robert Luckett. So stay tuned. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center and host of Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking. Join us as we explore issues that relate to you and your family, from mental health obstacles and family interactions to handling life disruptions. Whatever the issue, let's try to figure it out together. You can listen live Tuesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey, Editor-at-Large at Mississippi Today. Hey, today we've had the pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Robert Luckett, Director of the Margaret Walker Center and Professor at Jackson State University. Dr. Luckett, thank you for taking some time out of your busy Monday to visit with us today. And I tell you what, um, yeah, Michelle and I were talking a little bit early on um, about, you know, how there's still, even though 2021 seems like it's trying to pick up where 2020 left off, but there's still hope and there's still a lot of good things coming up this year. And one of the things I know is coming up is Black History Month. And I know that is a big part of what you what you do is putting on programs. And tell us a little bit about some of those programs that you're doing. Well, we're engaged in, in a, a number of projects. And again, part of our focus 
um, for Black History Month. A big central part of our focus will again be the uh, the Gibbs Green story and tragedy and trying to lift that up. And so we're going to be opening an exhibit here on campus, um, a, a collection of photographs by the, the great um, photographer, activist, scholar, Dr. Doris Derby. Um, who lived in Mississippi for 10 years as a, a SNCC activist and was actually on the staff here um, of the Black Studies Institute under Margaret Walker back in the late 60s and early 70s. And um, as such, she was here when the shootings took place and was able to capture um, images of the aftermath. And so we have 60 never-before-exhibited photographs of Dr. Derby's that are going to go up here in Johnson Hall. And luckily, due to the fact that there's kind of a, a, a dearth of, of, uh, of programming right now on campus. We're going to be able to have that exhibit up at least through June. So um, we're excited about these really remarkable, beautiful images um, uh, and, and tragic uh, that came in the aftermath. And we'll be doing a gallery talk um, with Dr. Derby, um, a virtual gallery talk with Dr. Derby uh, in February. Um, in fact, um, just coming up next week, uh, we'll kick it off uh, next Thursday, February 4th at 6 p.m. on the Margaret Walker Center Facebook page. People will be able to check out this live conversation that I'll have with her about her experiences and about that wonderful exhibit. We also are, are moving into, again, our annual student conference and going to be pushing that and uh, a number of things that we'll be engaged in over the course of, of February. But, you know, for us, um, Black history isn't just a month. It's what we do year-round. And so we lift up African-American history and culture um, through our work on a on a daily basis. That's one of the things I always love talking to you because, I mean, you're so passionate about the topic and you really have done a great job, uh, you know, elevating it, but also, you know, telling that story so well a little bit. Let me let me talk to you a little bit personally here because, obviously, you're very creative. You have a lot of energy. You have a lot of things going. And the last year, I know, has been tough on people because, I mean, obviously, if you're trying to, you know, get your budget or you're trying to keep something going or you're trying to keep doing work, it seems like the walls have kind of closed in because of the pandemic. What are some things that you do personally that help you kind of be able to push through some of those darker days? Yeah, well, you know, the idea of, of self-care is incredibly important. Um, and, you know, as much as we feel disconnected, at the same time, we're almost overconnected, right? The whole idea of the Zoom fatigue and just being exhausted about being in front of a computer all the time. I've, I've tried, started to learn to say no a little bit more <laughs> to things <laughs> and, um, and not necessarily have to feel like I have to attend everything because none of us can really do it all. All of us, we can do a little bit and we can en engage and do a, probably a better job of engaging more in the causes that we care about and the work that we do, um, but none of us can do it all. Uh, and it can be exhausting, especially in this world where it almost feels like we're expected to be able to connect all the time because uh, of technology. So I try to try to you know make sure that I prioritize my kids, prioritize spending time with my kids and, and having fun with them, um, and enjoying uh, their presence as they're still quite young. And, you know, the the family and friends I, I care about. And that's uh, been something that I know I've been able to rely on in, in incredibly important ways. 
and you know just continuing to know that I'm lucky in the work that I get to do and to keep doing it and learn again from the pandemic in ways that helps us uh, expand our mission expand the reach of the Margaret Walker Center and Margaret's legacy here definitely on that let's look back over you know, obviously there was so much unrest last year and that unrest, I'm really the, the causes of it. It seems like people weren't talking to each other about it. They were talking past each other on it. What advice would you give us to be able to have conversations with each other, to be able to talk through this? Because I've, I've always felt like that being able to sit down one-on-one with a friend and being able to discuss something is a lot more effective than screaming at them on social media. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that, what a great question, Marshall, because it is something that I, I think about quite a bit. And honestly, I think there, there are two things that we have to be able to do and have to be willing to do. Um, the first is, of course, we got to be willing to be uncomfortable. Um, if we're going to have these conversations that are going to bring some change and, and restore some civility to our life in this country – We've got to be uncomfortable and willing to listen to the other side, and I think that is, in fact, the number the number two in this equation. Um, we've got to listen, um, and we've got to be active listeners, and it can't just be listening for what we want to hear um, and then jumping in and cutting other people off. We actually have to engage in dialogue, and dialogue requires not just talking but listening. And so we've got to be be willing to be uncomfortable in the conversations that we need to have. And be willing to listen and to see other people as other human beings. And if we do that, frankly, the the places and times I've seen hearts change is when you've been able to foster that kind of dialogue and have those kinds of conversations with people who, you know, whose backgrounds and politics cross the spectrums. I was talking a little bit earlier about the show Ted Lasso that came out last year, but I just finally got around to watching it. But he had that great quote from Walt Whitman, be curious, not judgmental. And I think that's a mm-hmm. very good place to start. Absolutely. So, I would agree. Tell us real quickly how folks can find out a little bit more about y'all and be able to, you know, be able to help out, to be honest with you. Yeah, absolutely. They can find us online, of course, at uh, the Margaret Walker Center, www.jsums.edu slash Margaret Walker Center. But we're also very active on social media. They can find us on Facebook, which is at Margaret Walker Center. And they can find us on Twitter and Instagram, both of which are at M Walker Center. Um, And just, you know, join us, engage us. The things that we do and produce are free for the public. Um, You know, we're an educational uh, center and our mission as a public entity in Mississippi is to, to preserve, interpret and disseminate this history in ways that informs us hopefully for the better in the future. So social media online and when the, when the doors reopen, when we can have people back on this campus, we do hope they'll, they'll come and they'll, they'll join us at the Margaret Walker center and at the Cofo center. Let's pray that that is sooner than later. Dr. Luckett, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us today. Always happy to do it, Marshall. Thanks a lot. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today. And thank our guest, Dr. Robert Luckett, for sharing his story with us. And if you'd like to hear the show again or any past episodes, well, you can listen to our podcast at mpbonline.org. Now Your Talking is produced by Michelle McAdoo. So stay tuned. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit with Josie Bidwell is coming up next. And join us next week at 10 a.m. for more great conversations. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Y'all have an awesome week.